Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Generation Z is the popular term for people born between 10 and 25 years ago. Four years ago, a survey conducted by the Pew Research Center showed that for 70% of Generation Z, anxiety and depression are major problems among their peers. An explanation is near at hand. One year ago, a survey conducted by the American Enterprise Institute revealed that more than one-third of Generation Z have no religious affiliation and nearly 20% identify themselves as atheist or agnostic. (coughs) Nearly half of the people in the United States between 13 years old and 17 years old reported that they think about the meaning and purpose of life. Some generation Z are seeking something that will give meaning to their meaningless lives. These facts may go some way to explain the recent so-called Asbury Revival, a Christian revival at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. This revival began at a campus chapel and extended for two weeks. During that time, hundreds of Christians from diverse traditions came to the campus to worship and to pray. Daniel Webster defined revival as renewed and more active attention to religion, an awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. By this definition, what took place at Asbury University may be called a revival. Concerning that revival, Michael Raboski, reporting for the Christian Post, said, So much is made of Generation Z and its tilt toward disbelief. But then again, other polling is showing that Gen Z Americans are very spiritually curious. Craig Keener, professor of New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary, published this statement on his Twitter account. Many of us were praying for revival for our university and seminary. We didn't realize how many others were thirsty, now filling the university's auditorium, front lawn, seminary chapels, a Baptist church, a Christian church, a vineyard and Methodist church, plus some of the seminary cafeteria and gymnasium. Suzanne Nicholson, professor of New Testament at Asbury University, gave this assessment. We are planted by streams of water, but the dry air of secular culture surrounding us has has left us thirsting for more. The thousands of visitors to campus have only demonstrated how much spiritual thirst exists right now. These people are desperate for relief, life, and hope, and they are willing to wait in line for hours to enter the place where the veil between heaven and earth is remarkably thin right now. When God commissioned Moses to lead Israel out of their bondage in Egypt, he told Moses to say to Pharaoh, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness 
that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Aaron, Moses' brother, told the Israelites what the Lord had revealed to Moses and to him. Then Moses went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. The Lord would deliver his people out of bondage in Egypt and into the wilderness where they might feast with him. Moses led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt and into the wilderness, but in the wilderness there was no food. The people grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders. They said that they would rather have died in Egypt with good food than to die in the desert with none. They accused Moses of leading them into the desert to die of hunger. Of course, they were not really complaining against Moses and Aaron, but against the Lord. Moses only did what the Lord commanded him to do. The people were ungracious to God, but he was gracious to them and provided for their needs. The Lord told Moses that he would cause bread to fall from heaven. But he told them that the people should only gather a certain amount every day, and twice that on the sixth day, so that they would not have to gather on the Sabbath. The people would have to trust the Lord to give them their daily bread. The Lord told Moses that he would do this in order to test the people, to see whether they would obey him or not. That night the Lord caused to appear in the camp quail, and every day thereafter bread, which the people called manna, and so all the people had enough food to eat. The Lord proved himself to the people by providing them food. Yet they still complained because there was no water. The people quarreled with Moses, and he told them, that their quarrel was with the Lord, and he warned them that they were trying the Lord's patience. They did not cease to complain, however, and accused Moses of leading them into the wilderness to die of thirst. As Moses feared that the people would stone him to death, he cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, And thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. Moses did as the Lord commanded. He struck the rock with his staff, and from it flowed water, so that the people might satisfy their thirst. With rocks, the people would have put Moses to death, but from a rock, God brought to the people life. The Lord might very well have caused it to rain. He might have had Moses lead them to a pool. He might have caused water to flow up from the ground. The Lord, however, in order to demonstrate his great power over all things, caused water to flow from the least likely source, a rock. As if the Lord had not done enough to prove himself to his people. 
He had plagued the Egyptians with ten plagues until Pharaoh let the Israelites go. He had destroyed the Egyptian army, drowning them in the Red Sea. He had led the Israelites through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night. He had caused bread to fall from heaven, yet the Israelites did not trust him and complained. They did not pray to God for help, as Moses did. They rather complained about Moses and charged him with leading them to their deaths. The Lord was again gracious, however, and spared their lives. Moses gave names to the place where these things occurred. He called the place Massah, which means trial, and Meribah, which means strife, because there the people tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The people did not doubt the existence of God. Of course, they had seen his works. They did not doubt the power of the Lord. They had seen his mighty hand. Although the Lord had proven himself many times, the people doubted him. They doubted his faithfulness and his loving care for them. The Lord tested the people and they failed. The people tested the Lord, and he proved himself. In the book of Psalms, it says that the Lord is the rock of our salvation and deserving of praise. There is no food and water in a wilderness. Yet it was into a wilderness that the Lord led his people. He led them there so that they would learn to depend on him for all their needs and obey all his commands. When Israel were finally ready to enter into the promised land, Moses, whom the Lord would not allow to enter, gave the people final instructions. He told them that the Lord would prosper them in the promised land and they would have far more than they needed. After the Lord blessed them, they ought to bless the Lord. He warned them that they would be tempted to forget their need of the Lord and to think that they had prospered by their own efforts. They would become proud and forget all that the Lord had done for them in the wilderness, how he gave them food and water when they had none. They would be tempted to forget the Lord and go after other gods. If they did these things, Moses warned them the Lord would destroy them. He would destroy the heathen nations so that his people might possess the land. But if his people did not obey him, then he would destroy them too. People need food and water to sustain their lives. They need something more, however. They need something to save their spirits. Jesus, on one occasion, traveled through Samaria. Samaria, once the northern kingdom of Israel, was in the days of Jesus nothing more than a Roman province. After the Assyrians had exiled the Jews, some of the Assyrians settled in Samaria and mixed the religion of the Jews with their own. Ever since the Jews returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon, the Jews and the Samaritans were in a feud So Jesus, entering 
as he did into Samaria, had to be prepared for hostility. He came to a city called Sychar, which was near a parcel of land that Jacob gave to Joseph, his son. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being wearied by his travels, sat on the well to rest. Around noon, a woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus, his disciples being not with him, but gone into the city, asked the woman to give him a drink. The woman asked him why he, a Jew, would ask her, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Jesus answered, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. With this, Jesus turned the matter around. Jesus asked the woman for water. She said she did not understand why, given their differences. Jesus said that if she knew who he was and what it was he could give to her, she would have asked him for it. He could give her, he said, living water. Jesus taught many spiritual things in material terms. Like so many others, the woman did not understand Jesus' meaning. She thought he meant that he would draw out of the well water for her so that she might drink it and so stay alive. She reasoned that Jesus had no means of drawing water and the well was quite deep, so she asked him from where he had the living water of which he spoke. She told Jesus that they were at the well of Jacob, the patriarch, and she asked Jesus if he thought he were greater than Jacob to provide water greater than the water of Jacob's well. Jesus was pleased to answer her. He said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Physical thirst can only be satisfied for a brief time. A person can live about three days without water before he dies. And for good health should drink much water every day. The Samaritan woman would draw water from the well. She would drink it and return soon after for more. And she would do this for the rest of her life. Jesus offered her not material water, but spiritual. This water satisfies spiritual thirst, and it gives spiritual life, even eternal life. Jesus alluded to the rock in the desert, the rock that Moses struck and from which water flowed to God's people, quenching their thirst and saving their lives. Jesus is the rock of salvation for his people. He is the one who quenches their spiritual thirst and saves their souls. The woman asked Jesus to give her this water so that she might never thirst and never again have to return to the well. She still did not understand that Jesus was speaking of spiritual things. So Jesus turned to the cause of her spiritual thirst and spiritual blindness her sin. He told her to go and to come back with her husband. 
She replied that she had no husband. Jesus told her that she had told the truth, but not the whole truth. She had no husband, that much was true. But it was only true because the man she was living with was not her husband. It seems he was some other woman's husband. Moreover, she had had five husbands, but was divorced from them all. Here Jesus got to the root of the matter. The woman was an adulteress many times over. Was she trying to satisfy some thirst in her life? Certainly, she was trying to satisfy her thirst for sin. But there was more. She had a restless soul, a restless soul that could only find rest in God. She was spiritually parched, and her thirst could only be quenched by the Spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus knew private things about her, she concluded that he was a prophet, and she told him so. His exposing her shame pricked her conscience, so she changed the subject from her sin to the proper place of worship. The Samaritans worshipped at nearby Gerizim, the Jews, of course, in Jerusalem. It was a long-standing point of contention between them. Jesus answered her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus told the woman that the dispute about the place of worship was beside the point, and soon to be irrelevant for all. The Jews knew what they worshipped because they had the revealed religion. The Samaritans did not. Salvation is of the Jews. They were God's covenant people, and from them came the Christ. But soon salvation would be for all people, and there would be no one center of worship. As Ezekiel saw in his vision, water would flow from the temple in every direction. The Spirit would flow from Jesus to the entire world. Soon all men would worship God, not according to the old forms, not according to the letter of God's ceremonial law, but according to the reality of those forms. They would worship not carnally, but spiritually, not outwardly, but inwardly. They would worship in true spirit because they would be given new life by the Holy Spirit. God himself is a spirit, and if anyone would worship him, then he must worship him spiritually and not carnally, truly and not hypocritically, really and not formally. The woman said to Jesus, I know that Messias cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. The woman, after hearing Jesus say these things, began to suspect that Jesus was more than a prophet. She began to suspect that he was the Christ who would come to teach people all that they needed to know. Jesus answered her, I that speak unto thee am he. 
Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the rock of salvation. He is the one that satisfies spiritual thirst. At this point, the disciples returned, and they were surprised to find Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. Yet none of them asked Jesus about it. The woman, for her part, left her water pot at the well and went into the city, and there she said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? So the men went with her to Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples told Jesus that he should eat. Jesus said to them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. The disciples were naturally perplexed, and they said to each other, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? So Jesus tried to explain, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Jesus, as was his way, used a carnal idea to teach the disciples a spiritual lesson. Food is important for the body. A man must eat in order to live. What satisfied Jesus more than anything, however, was to do the will of his Father in heaven. He knew better than any man that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There is a great harvest of souls in the world, and Jesus sent out his apostles to reap the harvest that others before them had sown. Many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of what the woman told them. Many Samaritans went to Jesus to talk to him themselves, and when they did, they believed in Jesus because of what he told them. They said to the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Not long after Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he stood in the temple and cried out, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. St. John explained what this living water is. He wrote, But... This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. If any man believes in Jesus, then Jesus will give him the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will join that man to Jesus. Jesus is the source of new life, spiritual life, eternal life. He is the one who cleanses a man from sin and gives him spiritual power. 
He is the one who satisfies a man's soul, satisfies his thirst for spiritual life. Let us recognize that we depend upon the Lord for all things. Let us understand that from Jesus flows living water that sustains us. Let us proclaim Jesus to the world. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen.